We all have a story to tell, a story of faith that can change the lives of others. Hi, I'm Terry Squires. Join me and my friends each week in the heart of Nashville as they share their stories of faith that will inspire your life. This is today's Nashville. This is Faith. The saying, laugh and the whole world laughs with you, is more than just an expression. Laughter really can be contagious, and Shonda Pierce is the one who can start it all. Emmy-nominated and best-selling comedian, television hostess, author, and actress Shonda Pierce has brought laughter to audiences around the country for decades. In October 2015, she took to the big screen with her first film, Shonda Pierce, Laughing in the Dark, based on her husband's recent death. This is her story of unshakable faith. Shonda, thank you so much for inviting me here. You know, I watch your documentary, Uh (laughs) Laughing in the Dark. You know, it made me laugh and it made me cry. And it it was just so- You know, it did the same for me. I remember sitting in the movie theater watching it with my son and I punched halfway through and went, my life is sad. This is the saddest movie I've ever oh. seen. <laughs> it was so inspiring, though, well, too. I, you know, it had it, a little bit of everything. I tell everybody, it took 53 years to live it, you know, so, and it took nine, and uh, 53 years was crammed into 90 minutes, so it's a lot to take sometimes it's a lot. When, you, when you watch it in that short amount of time. But it is a, if it's anything, it is just an absolute offering of showing the goodness of God, even in the toughest times of life. And, and that verse in the Bible that says, and I will work all things for good. Mm-hmm. And that's been the story of my life, that's for sure. Well, take me back to your childhood. What was it like growing up? You know, it was, uh, and it's funny, we we're sitting in my, you know, little house in Ashland City, Tennessee, where I went to high school. But uh, I moved here when I was 15. Uh, the years before I moved here were... Um, were, were difficult to tell you the truth. I, I tell people I had a great childhood. I laughed and had fun and we played on the backyard and it was fantastic. And I had a horrible childhood. Mm-hmm. It was um, life it, with a bipolar father. Um, I, I heard the term manic depressive when I was about 14. And to tell you the truth, that was probably about the greatest thing you could have heard because up until then I thought it was just me. <laughs> But to know that there was something working against him, you know, and working against us, it almost gave a little bit of a reprieve or, or a relief that, oh, he, he, he would like to not be this way. But, uh, but sometimes your, your mental state takes over and, and your body does not cooperate well. And my father was a good preacher. He was He's a, great, a pastor, yes, wasn't he? Yes, he was a great pastor. People loved him. But in the doors of our home, when the doors were shut, my sisters and I, my brother, my mother, we we shared a unique life that we could hardly talk to anyone about. Um, People don't like to know that their pastors are so human. And then, even beyond that, they don't want to know that their pastor has a very broken part of him. 
And in his manic state, he was much more of a danger to us than his depressed state. Uh, when he would get deeply, deeply depressed, he was very remorseful and regretful and sad and suicidal, mm -hmm. and he cried. But in his manic state, it would almost get to the degree of narcissism, and he was very abusive and, uh, and in, in, a, in a myriad of ways that are not good for little girls. And so uh, we grew up with that good and bad. But in that was this thread of that my mother sewed this seam through every scene of my life and that all that is taking place in him and all that he is is not God that God is better and God is good and the church is great and, and God is love. And so it kept our minds focused not on the humanity side of my father, but the divine side of God and how look what God is getting us through. Look how, and so we became this little team together, you know, that we, we, were, we, were, you know, we were going through this together and these were our secrets and these are our things. The tough part of that is at some point in your life, Secrets will always manifest, manifest themselves in some ways that sometimes aren't healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn very quickly to uh, relinquish and let go of a lot of the past. What about your comedy? When did it develop or how did you? Well, my mother says she used to rent me out to Sunday school parties because you know, I was the middle child and the glue that kept the whole family together. And, um, and I can actually remember, you know, uh, you know, cutting up in church or, or, you know, making everybody laugh at choir practice, you know, and, and I can remember it feeling good, you know. Um, I can also remember and realize now as I look back that the comedy that uh, I was creating on the inside of me was a, a defense mechanism. It was a, very much a, a way to survive. So it was much later in life, in my college years, did comedy all of a sudden, uh, you know, just get reignited in me about a career choice. That came, that came almost accidentally. That had to have been a God thing, you know. For a long time, your comedy, you know, my humor was a deflection and a way to save my life. I never dreamed of it being a way to make a living. <laughs> And that came in college, you know, I was a theater arts major and I, I remember looking back now and I, and I should have known that this is how the, the doors the Lord was going to open because I fell in love with every funny role, you know, as a theater arts major you had to be in a, every play, you know. I wanted to audition for everything that was funny, you know, I, I liked the crowd laughing, I didn't like the serious parts or the leading lady, I, I only liked the leading lady if she was funny, you know, and so I would audition for that. But. Then I got a job at Opryland USA, and uh, the only reason I could save my job at Opryland is for six years I impersonated Minnie Pearl because I didn't know how to dance. Because <laughs> dancing, you go to hell in a handbasket, you know, at my oh, church. Yeah. And so I, I learned to, you know, I learned to impersonate Minnie Pearl, and I met her, and she became a great mentor and a friend to a lot of young people back in those days. Uh, and. Uh, it was early 80s, and I'll never forget sneaking in some of my own stories of growing up in church, and my boss would go, that was funny, but it didn't happen in Grinder Switch. You can't tell that again. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, I always laugh and go, I don't know what people's theology, you know, everybody has a different theology, but I did finally get saved at a point where it really stuck this time, and I really wanted to commit my talent or my career. I wanted to find some way to tell the world what the Lord had done for me. And the best way I knew how to do that was to start by telling them something funny. 
and that's been the M.O. since the beginning of my career. You know, and I love your comedy. I mean, some of the... Some um, of the things I get by with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Look, I have preachers when I show up and go, here's a list of things I can't, can't say, say, but I know you can. <laughs> I love getting to do that. Well, the comedy, you have spent many, many years on the road. Yes, and it has 25 years, yeah. Would you go back and do it differently? Yes, yes. And anybody that says, oh, no, I wouldn't, or, they're lying. <laughs> if we don't learn something from our past, whether good, bad, or ugly, you know, then we're all in trouble. Every day, yesterday taught you something. It may not show up today, but someday you're going to go, oh, oh, I remember this road. I took the wrong turn. And so, yeah, I have a lot of things I would do over. Shonda, who inspires you? Oh, my goodness. Well, that would be whatever mood I'm in. It would depend on earth, wind, and fire inspires me. <laughs> I heard him sing a song on the radio today about Jesus, and I thought, this is awesome. You know, um, you know, Kirk Franklin inspires me. So it depends on your mood and, you know, for me anyway. Uh, probably as far as comedy goes, you know, I, I, Minnie Pearl was such a mentor, even though I was, I knew nothing about country music. Um, and so I had to really do some research in order to, to get a paycheck. One thing she used to say, and she used to say this to young performers every, you know, every time she would speak in front of people, um, she would say, you got to love them and they'll love you back. And it was talking about the authenticity to the crowd. And I, that stuck with me as a young performer and inspired me about being authentic. Now, I think how interesting it is that God used that little nugget to speak truth to me in that, I was already used to living a life where you keep secrets during my whole childhood. We were not allowed to tell anybody at church what was going on, or if we did, we got in trouble, or somebody would shout us down. You know, the church world doesn't do, you know, compassion very nice to their, to the people within our walls. We don't, we don't, we shoot our wounded a little too often. And I saw that in my childhood, and it made us me very skeptical of speaking the truth. Well. And then when Minnie Pearl comes along and says, you got to love them and they'll love you back. Uh, it, those, that combination, God took that, I think, and planted a seed in my life of always speaking truth to your audience. Now, what's really hard is, as a comedian, you live in a world of exaggeration. You live in a world where you take a premise and you, you, know, you build upon it to make it funny. Like, for instance, this is one of my favorite jokes, and people will probably remember, you know, remember this if they had second row piano side or some of my newer projects. It was, I was standing at the water fountain getting a drink of water and two little sweet saints of the church slipped up behind me and patted me on the head and water went up my nose. And, uh, and one of them said, this here's one of our preacher's daughters. She's not very P-R-E-T-T-Y. And I said, no, but I'm real S-M-A-R-T. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And when I teach a class for the comedy Christian Comedy Association, I always say that's the perfect construction of a joke. He took a premise that was true, and it really did happen. These two little sweets, you know, the, with the tall hair, the taller the hair, the closer to God, slipped up behind me and whispered, and I heard him say that. And, it, you know, it sounds so bizarre and silly and country. The, the punchline, I turned around and said, no, but I'm real S-M-R-T. I wrote that part. And later in life, years and years down the road, when I fell into Great Depression and worn out from the road and the, and the wear and tear that it has and the sacrifice you know, away from your family, 
and when I talked to a wonderful Christian counselor one day, that came up. And it was very interesting how I had rewritten a very tragic, terrible thing for two little old ladies to say to a six-year-old little girl. And I had rewritten that so that years ago it was funny and was lighthearted and it was a punchline. But what I had forgotten to do is go and undo and, and dig up that scar and let that pain drain. And so it's interesting. Now when I tell it, I think it's funnier. I can remember years ago when I first put that on a tape, it wasn't from such a healthy place. It probably was, a, I hope these women see this video now, you know, or it was a way of hiding that very painful thing that a six-year-old had to hear that she's not very pretty. And so we, our words are powerful. They and are. so I think Minnie Pearl taught me that early on. Mark Lowry taught me a lot. You know, he was the first person I ever knew in Christian comedy. And um, he invited me on tour when I was so green and brand new at what I do. And he invited me out on the bus. And, but I watched night after night him weave stories from the Word of God and make them fun and delightful. And, um, and so, yeah, and he still is a very good friend, a very good mentor for my craft. Yeah. Then I have great spiritual mentors, you know, that I, I lean on. And well, tell me about your faith. How uh, does your faith play into your comedy? Well, it, uh, my faith is everything. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I always hesitate when people say, oh, you're a Christian comedian. And I go, well, you don't say you're a Christian painter or I'm not a Christian housewife or I'm not a Christian That's broadcaster, you know, because then it sounds like you only put that Christian hat on when you're doing something. And Good point. my faith is not about what I do. It's about who I am. Mm -hmm. And I am Christian 24 seven. Um, I happen to make a living as a comedian. And so after we've laughed and cut up, you know, for a couple hours on a stage, we will leave the audience, you know, talking about who Jesus is and what he has done for me and, and give him the glory. And I, and I walk out of there not wanting to take any of the credit because I know me better than my audience know me and I wouldn't have bought a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the goodness of God and what he does with our brokenness. And so that helps a lot. Well, you know, you talked about in your documentary um, about the sacrifices. Yes. Can you share some of it? I am so extremely grateful for what my job has allowed me to get to do. I've been all around the world, you know, and so I'm grateful for that. That being said, the time away from home you can never recapture. You know, and I've had, I've had uh, in 25 year career, I've had one, two, three managers, you know, mainly because one retired, you know, one I was with for first five years of my career. Then one I had that I thought I would have till Jesus came and he retired. And now I have this manager I have now. They're all great men. They're incredible, smart people. Some of their advice is awesome and some of it was not so awesome. Mm -hmm. I look back as a young, vulnerable performer wanting to make it, you know, make it in this world and make a name for myself. And I look back at some of the advice that I had gotten that I, that I had agreed to. And I look back now and said, I, I should have thought. It's not their fault. I, sh I should have been more aware of how much time I was away from home. And I was away from home too much, I think. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, my kids had a, a nice place to live and my husband, you know, was a school teacher and so he could stay home with the kids and have the same hours as the kids. 
the Lord worked out the details so much, even when we got our eyes off track and started climbing that big ladder of success. It, I am, I am so b blessed for God's protection who saved me from me, you know, but, um, you, in this world of entertainment, you, there's this idea that get while the getting's good. While you're popular, get out there and, you know, bust it. And, and I want to tell young people all the time, no, God wants you to be a, 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 your responsibilities. If you have them at home, then adhere to those and he will help work your career around it. Well, what would you say to a parent that is working a lot? Yeah. And they, you know, we all feel guilty about it. Balance. Balance. That's the one word is balance. Um, and then also true honesty, I think, with your kids. That when, I, I can't tell you, and I think my son would, would, would agree. Uh, I think my daughter would too. They, the, the, my, the times they saw me cry as I head to the bus. Mm -hmm. The times that they dropped me off at the airport and I teared up because I was going to miss the soccer game. And so that, that truth, that authenticity in front of your kids speaks volumes. It's not, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't substitute for time being with them, but at least it lets them know mom, mom's heart is here, mom, you know. And in this day and age, women do not need to carry the guilt like we had to in, at our age. I started this when there was no cell phone, when you had to wait to find a hotel room and get, you know, that you have a card or if you didn't have a credit card, you couldn't make a call, you know, and so, you know, we've got Skype and Facebook and FaceTime and we are blessed. God has blessed working women with technology to keep up with their kids. So use it. Use every bit of it. Shonda, tell me about David. Oh, the love of my life, you know. It's, um... I have, I have grieved in lots of ways. I've lost both my sisters. I lost my mother. I grieved a childhood. You know, I grieve a child that's wayward right now from my life, you know. But the loss of a spouse, it is just, when, when the Lord said, take care of the widows and the orphans, he said that because I think he knew those were two sectors of people that the entire body of Christ would have to rally around. It is uh, my, I was married to, for 31 years to my high school sweetheart, and uh, we dated for seven years, so he was a slow high school <laughs> sweetheart. But he, uh, he was you, how joyful. Old were you when oh you were? my gosh, we were 17 when we met. Um, and you know, I remember the first time he told me he loved me, we were, it was our high school uh, graduation Sunday at our church, you know, celebrating the graduates. And he sat on the porch of the church and said, I love you, and I said, Oh, thanks. <laughs> and he never let me forget that for 40 years, you know. But uh, we dated all through college, and, you know, and we would get on and off the same page. Either I was loving him and he was not liking me, or I, or I, he was liking me and I was on to something else. Now, were you, know? you at the same college? Or? No, we went to different schools, you know. Well, I went to a, to a Christian school, and he went to, he got a scholarship to MTSU, and then he turned down the second year of his scholarship to come to the same school I was going to, and I left and went to a state school that I'd gotten an acting scholarship, so we could never get up. So the minute we got like on the same page, we decided to get married real quick. <laughs> what, tell me how, how did, 
he asked me to marry him. You know, it was so funny. We were under a great big tree, and uh, it was so freezing cold. I remember he'd given me a ride home, and he was nervous all day. And I thought he needs to borrow money, but uh, but it, you know, he was he had been planning to propose all this time, honey. We got up from kneeling. We, we decided to pray. You know, I said, well, let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us, you know, for our, the rest of our lives and in our decision making, you know, this great big oak tree. And we realized we had knelt where the dog had pottied. Now, and that's the truth. You would have thought we had known we were off to, no, what other material could the Lord possibly give you? You No one would write that, you know. Our first child came along way too soon in our relationship. You know, I got, I was one of those brides that got pregnant, you know, right first year, you know, right off the bat. We're like, oh dear, you know, we were not ready for this. And then uh, our son was born six years later, you know, and so, uh, and we, we were kids with our kids. You know, we were just trying to figure it all out ourselves. And when I was even singing at Opryland, he came every day. He would bring the kids every day. And after, after I finished singing, we'd go ride rides with the kids, like little kids. We were just kids, you know. But, uh, but we had a great fun. He was funny and extremely intelligent, a great writer, you know. And he was my dearest friend. He was just as excited for my job as I was, you know, doing things. And I would get just as excited when he'd get something published, you know, and we were, we were each other's greatest fans. And then we got so busy on the road that I worried that if I came home and told him I got a gold record, he would think that that was more important. And so I would start downplaying a little bit of what I was doing. He was doing the same thing. He saw that I would tear up missing Zach's soccer game, or I would tear up when I was going to miss something Shara was doing. And so he would he would downplay it, or he wouldn't say he would tell the kids, you know, don't let's don't tell mom about this. She, you know, she, it'll just make her sad, and she's got to go to work tomorrow. And, and we realized, I think, later in the later years of our marriage, we got too polite. Um, we, we quit communicating thinking that we could save each other's feelings instead of trusting each other to work through our feelings. And, um, and that, was the, that was the hard thing to realize. And it's especially hard to realize that after someone's gone because then you can't fix it. You can't go back and do it better, you know, and you can't reconcile and have the, you know, uh, the, the senior years being the best that there are, uh, that you hear these marriages that last forever. You, you can't go back and fix that so that yours does last forever because he's gone now. And but that's you, the hard, hardest part. But you part. were married for how many years? 31 years. 31 plus. To tell you the truth, we made it a whole lot longer than a lot of our high school friends. <laughs> But he, uh, I think what helped us, he used to say this too, the glue that kept us together was fishing. We loved to fish. And so, uh, you know, we just, uh, we, I, I, I can't say enough good about him. It's interesting in these last few years, he struggled greatly with some of the disappointments and pains that we were going through. And with me being gone too much, and we were learning so much in those last few years of his life that I think would have matured us in a way that we would have had one of those golden marriages because we, uh, we were working on it and we were, we were going through the tough stuff to try to stay together. But uh, we ran seen, out of time. I yeah. remember seeing that clip in your yeah. documentary. Where he asked it me just, to go steady again. Oh, I know. Just, it just 
Oh, you know, and that was the ending for the movie. We just thought this is going to be so sweet, and we had this we had this other big scene where he was moving stuff back into the little house instead of being now gone and rehab. And we, you know, we had this beautiful little scene, and then he passed away, and we had to redo the the ending. And oh, you talk about it! I look at that movie now, the clips of the end, and I I just look like my eyes are glazed over, and I am. Walking through that shock moment that everybody does when you're when you lose someone like that. Well, you have a new movie coming out. Let's talk about it. You know what's great about this new movie? No one dies. <laughs> Spoiler alert: We all live at the end of it. You know, it is. A, it, there was, you know, I kept saying, we there's not another movie in me. I, you know, have you given my life story? What else is there left? Now let's just go create a character. And they were like, no, no, no. There's still story left here. We want to know what the follow-up, how's life now, and this and that and the other. Well, about six months ago, my girlfriends, my well-meaning girlfriends, you know, the Christian ones that are always going to tell you what the Lord wants you to do, uh, signed me up for online dating. Now, honey, that will either be the funniest material of my career or the saddest thing I've ever but in that process of actually looking at a computer screen and have to write a paragraph with the thought that some man out there, you know, might like you, you know, you don't, I never even thought in those terms. Oh, does he like me? I haven't heard that out of my mouth since I was 18 years old, you know. But when you have to do that and write down, not what you do, not whose wife you were, not what your children do, you, when you have to really get down to the nitty gritty of who you are, that spoke volumes to me. And as I began to explore that idea, that's when the movie Enough came about. Oh, I can't wait yes. to see it. Shonda, thank you so much for having us. I'm just honored. I'm just honored. Thank you for what you do for Christian television across the country. We need you. Well, we need you too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Are you living in the dark and you've stopped laughing? My sweet friend, let Jesus take your hand and pull you out of the darkness. He is the light of the world and he will bring joy back into your life. Do it today so that you can share your story of unshakable faith with others and give him glory and praise. Do you have a question or comment about today's podcast or want to check out the latest television episode? You can find me, Terry Squires, and all of my guests at todaysnashville.com. Cornerstone Television wishes to thank all our faithful viewers whose consistent prayers and financial support have made this program possible.